Last week, we looked at Jesus being the source of everything we need, right? He, he's, he's it. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the I am that I am. This is our Jesus. And this morning, we're going to look at being connected to the source, being connected to Jesus. Now, I think we're all guilty of this, where we want to make a cup of coffee or fire up the toaster oven or a drill or something else, a vacuum cleaner that requires electricity, and we go to do what we need to do and we throw the switch and nothing happens, right? What's going on? And we realize, oh, it's not plugged in. You ever have that? I think we've all done, you, you don't have to admit it. You know, I, I've done that. But this last week, I sat down to, to work on some worship stuff. Uh, and so I sat down, boom, my computer's up. Everything's all the way it's supposed to be at my little workstation for, uh, for my music. And I go ahead and I fire up one of the songs that I'm learning to do for this, this worship thing that I'm doing. And nothing's coming through my, my speakers. And I'm like, hmm. And I'm looking at all the, the faders and the dials and stuff. It's like, everything's set right. Everything's where it's supposed to be. And nothing's coming through. And I'm like, what is going on? And then I realized that on my mixing console, the little green light in the upper right corner that shows that the thing is turned on wasn't green. It wasn't on at all. So I was connected to the source, but it wasn't an active connection. The juice wasn't flowing into my system. And so we understand that, yeah, if, if Jesus Christ is the source of everything we need, eternal things and in the natural realm, if we understand that he is the source and we know we have to be plugged into Christ, but not only do we have to be connected with Christ, it has to be an active connection. We have to be throwing that switch so that the life of Christ, so that the Holy Spirit can flow into our lives and impact us and make a difference. And we're gonna to look today on throwing the switch, all right? Having that active connection with Christ and with our Heavenly Father. And it's interesting, you know that we live in a time and our lives even may bear it out where we can have connections with people, but we're disconnected. We can be married to somebody and be connected that way, but not be connected. There's a lot of couples out there like that. We can have our families where we're connected by blood, but we don't know each other and we're not connected. So just because there might be a physical connection doesn't necessarily mean there's an active, engaged connection with another person. 
And we can have that thing as Christians where we have the connection with Christ through faith. We are born again, but we're not connected. That was an issue that the Ephesian church had in the book of Revelation when Jesus was talking to them. He says, you know, you guys are doing all sorts of stuff. It's fantastic. But I have this against you. You've left your first love. You're doing all this stuff for me, but we are not connected. You're not spending time with me. And we're going to look at that element in what we look at today. All right? So chapter 10 of the book of Luke, the backdrop that we have here is that Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. The crucifixion is coming near, all right? So, what Jesus does is he sends out 72 disciples other than the 12, okay? So we have 36 teams going out to all these places where Jesus is going to go. So you think about this, God sent John before Jesus to prepare the hearts of the people. Now Jesus is sending these teams out to prepare the places where he's going to go to receive because time's getting short. We're going into the blitz mode now to get the message out and get people prepared to receive Jesus. And so look at what happens here. Chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now do you notice that he's not telling people who are sitting around and not doing anything to pray for God to send in laborers? He's telling the laborers to pray for more laborers to go in because the harvest is ready. And for us, we have that same responsibility where, yes, we need to be praying that God send more people to proclaim the kingdom of God in the world around us, but we also are a part of that equation in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our softball teams, you know, in our quilting clubs, wherever it may be, we are that salt and light going in amongst people to bring the message of Christ. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit is able to go in and move through us and move after us and work on the hearts of people, preparing the way for Jesus. So it's the same kind of thing. And Jesus says, hey, don't take a money bag. Don't take food. Don't take a staff. Don't take a change of clothing. Everything you need will be provided. And he gave them authority to heal people and to cast out demons and to do the things that he did. And so they would go in showing the power of the kingdom and proclaiming the king of the kingdom to these places. And then Jesus would come in and he would preach the gospel to them as well. Jesus gave them everything they needed spiritually and physically to do that which he called them to do. And the same holds true for us. 
So they go out and they're proclaiming the kingdom of God and the Lord is moving. The Holy Spirit is moving. People are getting healed. People are having demons cast out of their lives and they are so excited. And so if you go over to verse 20, Jesus, they come back to Jesus and they go, hey, all this stuff's going on and this is awesome. And Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Hey, that's great that the demons are being cast out. That's great people are being healed. But don't let that be the thing that you're excited about. Okay, not that it's wrong to. It's wonderful to see God move in the lives of people. But Jesus said, look, if you're going to rejoice in something, rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. You are listed in the records of the kingdom of the Most High God. You are his, and you have an eternal home with the I Am. That's something to be excited about. Be excited about the relationship and position you have with the Almighty God, who is your Father and your King and your friend. That's something to rejoice in. I think about this, and it's like, you know, and we'll see this a little bit more when we look at the Lord's Prayer, but... Do, do you ever wrap your mind around this, this fact? You go out to Devil's Lake. I like calling it Spirit Lake, personally. But you go out to the lake and you're out on those bluffs. And it's beautiful. Or when I'm driving home from Madison and I get up on that real big bluff and then I see all these hills and stuff spread out in front of me as I'm coming down the other side. And especially if like the sun's shining and there's a little bit of a mist or a fog and whatnot, it just looks so cool. Or you look at the storm clouds rolling in or the, the, the thunder and the lightning, the thunder and the lightning, okay? Boy, tongue-tied. You see those things happening or you look at the stars. Do you ever think my dad made these things. My dad controls and rules these things. And my dad knows them by name. And my dad loves me. Don't rejoice in demons running out of people. That's great. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's incredible. If you are here this morning and you are born again, you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior and have repented of your sins, you are a daughter or a son of the Almighty King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who you are. It's relationship. And it's a blood relationship, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, 
the only begotten Son of God. Rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. Now go on down to chapter 10, verse 38. So now Jesus is going into Bethany, all right? And you're familiar probably with this account. And he goes to Lazarus and Martha and Mary's house. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Okay, she is the one who's, this is her house. You know, she's, she's in charge here. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Okay, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me? Okay, so Mary was helping. But when Jesus got there, or when the time was right, she went to be with Jesus. And Martha's still putting everything together, all right? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Do you sense that she is a woman who is very strong, very assertive? She is. We'll see that at the tomb as well of Lazarus. The way this is written in Greek, Jesus is seated. The disciples, Lazarus, are there. We know that from other accounts. And Mary is seated at Jesus' feet. Martha, the way this is written, she comes into the room with everybody watching. And it says she stands over Jesus. So he's seated and she comes in like this. That's how I picture her, okay? She's standing over Jesus. You need to tell my sister to get in here and help me. Wow. Okay. Do you notice what Jesus says to her? Listen to this. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, like chill, okay? Martha, just chill. You are anxious and troubled about many things. This thing with Mary is just one thing. But there's a deeper issue here. You are anxious and troubled about a lot of stuff, Martha. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. One thing is necessary. It's great serving. That's a wonderful thing. Serving the Lord is good. It's important. Serving each other, it's great. But the most important thing is to spend time with him. That's what Jesus was telling the church in Ephesus. You guys are doing a lot of stuff here. That's great. But we need to connect. When the disciples come back and they're like, boy, listen to what's going on. Jesus says, that's great, but rejoice in this. We have a relationship. When I look at this situation, I find it interesting because I think it's easier to do things for people than it is to spend 
time with people. It's easier to spend time doing for people than to spend time with people. Because when we spend time with people, we engage, which means we need to be vulnerable. It means sacrifice of time and energy, investment of self, not things. And we live in a time where we chase the American dream. And there's nothing wrong with having things, but especially us guys, we could spend so much time trying to provide for our families that we're not spending time with our families. My pastor made a comment once, and I, I remember it to this day. He, says, he said, your kids are not going to remember what kind of dining room table you had at home. They're going to remember whether or not you spent time around the dining table at home. For me, this really hits home because my dad was a wonderful provider. It was hard for him to engage. He was not an emotional man. He was not one who knew how to communicate well on a personal level. So he was always pouring in himself to provide for our family. He worked so hard. But at the end of the day, I never really knew my dad until he had cancer and he was not able to do, 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 do. But we could spend time together. And those are the things I remember. Martha was very busy for Jesus. The important thing was to spend time with Jesus because he's the source. It's kind of like, I think of Mary like, like a, uh, uh, a cordless tool, okay? So she gets charged and she's unplugged and she's doing her thing for the Lord. But that battery starts draining. And then you can't do things as efficiently. And that tool starts getting slow and bogging down. You know, for me, yeah, it's convenient having a, a cordless drill, a battery. But boy, if you really have a lot of work to do, you want something that's plugged into the source that is not going to give out or give up on you. And a lot of times we as Christians, we do the battery thing. We plug into Jesus on a Sunday morning, maybe a midweek service, maybe a Bible study, you know, during the week, maybe. We get the battery charged, then we unplug and off we go. Rather than having that regular, consistent connection with the Lord. And that's what, that's what Jesus is talking about here with, with Mary and Martha. Mary is choosing the better thing. She served the Lord, but now she's spending time with the Lord. She's taking in from him. And this is how we actively engage and connect with the Lord. We spend time with him. That's what Mar Mary was doing. 
we listen to him, okay? Relationship is communication. Two-way. We need to listen to the Lord. How do we do that? How does he speak to us? The word of God, yes. The Holy Spirit, yes. It's this fluid thing. You know, and I find myself now, like yesterday, I was going over this stuff and I told Jen, I said, you know, I, I, need, to, I need to go on a walk. I just need to get out. Me and the Lord just talk about this stuff. We, we need to have a discussion. I'm, I'm not sure on some things. And so I'm just doing the walk and I'm like, okay, Dad, I, I, I need your help here. What, what do you want to do? What, what's on your heart? What's on your mind? And as I'm walking along the footpath, it's not like God said, Ernest, say this and go to this verse. It was all of a sudden these things started coming to mind. And I was like, wow, okay, gotcha. Thank you. And by the time I got home, I had it more solidified, not only in my head, but in my heart just hanging out with, with my father and letting him talk to me. It's those whispers sometimes, those little thoughts where you go, is that you, Lord? You know? We need to listen to him. I tend to talk to the Lord and just kind of shoot things out and not shut up. We need to go, okay, what do you got to say? And that takes us to the next thing. Chapter 11, verse 1, the third element is prayer. Listening to him, talking to him. In both cases, we're spending time with him. Jesus was praying. This is something his disciples saw him do. Jesus was always praying. It was never the last resort. It was always the first resort. It wasn't something you did when you had time. You made time. Jesus was always engaging with his father, okay, in prayer. He's in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Hmm, okay. So John was out teaching his disciples how to talk and communicate with God. And he said to them, when you pray, now, here it is. It's, they call it the Lord's Prayer because the Lord gave it. It's an example. Jesus didn't say, okay, well, first of all, you know, you need to think about who your audience is, and then you need to, you know, blah, 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 or whatever. It's like, okay, you want to know how to pray? Here's a prayer. Oswald Chambers calls this the ABCs of prayer. The simple basics that you can build everything else out of. Okay? So how do we talk to the Lord? First thing, Father. Father. When we pray, who are we talking to? We're talking to our dad, who is none other than the I am that I am, Yahweh, 
the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father. That is who we're talking to. And when we understand that, that impacts, I think, how we approach him. What's the issue? What's the need? doesn't matter because of who I am talking to. Because of who my Father is. Hallowed be your name. Holy, set apart is your name, your character, your person, who you are. You are unlike anybody else. You are unlike anything else. You are you. And you are holy and separate. I was reading a story about when Lyndon Johnson was president. And I didn't know this, but I remember, uh, you know, from time to time seeing Bill Moyers on TV and he had Bill Moyers journal and all that. I did not know that he was secretary of state to Lyndon Johnson. Okay. One day there was a staff lunch and the staff is at the White House and they're all sitting around and Bill Moyers is asked to, to say grace for lunch. So he's saying grace, and President Johnson says, Bill, speak up. I can't hear a thing you're saying. Bill Moyers responded respectfully. I wasn't addressing you, Mr. President. And I read that, and it's like, you know what? He knew who he was talking to. The president of the United States is in the room, but he was speaking to the king of kings. It doesn't matter what anybody else hears. What matters is, is God hearing. When we understand who we are speaking with and who it is who loves us, who is our father, a child who is loved comes to their mother or father without inhibition, fear, or even doubt that mommy or daddy can do what they need to be done. Because they're mom or dad, and they can do anything. They know they're loved, and they know mom and dad are there for them, and they come before mama or papa upon that relationship. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. We pray for his will. What do you want to do in my life? What do you want me to do? What is your agenda? What would you like? That should be our heart. That's a part of prayer. So often it's like, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. There's nothing wrong with that. We're told to pray for the things we need. But what about, what do you want? What's on your heart? What can I do for you? Relationship. Give us this day our daily bread. That's praying for our needs. Praying for his will. Praying for our needs. Daddy, I need help. 
doesn't matter what it is, he loves us. I find as a dad, even now my kids are grown up, and if I hear there's something that they're interested or they want, and they're adults, I want to get that for them. I want to do that for them. And I've been corrected. Let me do it myself. Okay. It doesn't matter what it is I want to do for them. And sometimes we think, well, this isn't important. God doesn't care. He cares about you. And what's important to you is important to him. He loves you. And he's a better daddy than I ever will be. Isn't that awesome? Give us this day what we need, Papa. Okay. And forgive us our sins. We need his forgiveness daily. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. In prayer, we need to ask for forgiveness, keep short accounts with the Lord, and forgive others. Because if we're unforgiving, it hinders that relationship with the Lord. Because there's that sin of unforgiveness. And unforgiveness breeds bitterness and contention and strife and jealousy and all sorts of garbage. And lead us not into temptation. Protect us. Lord, keep me out of messes. I look back over my life and go, wow, Father, you kept me out of a lot of areas of temptation. You really screwed up that particular situation in a good way. You messed up my plans to screw something up because you care about me. Lead us not into temptation. Protect us. Simple communication. This isn't hard. And then he he tells us to be persistent in it. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Well, if you're outside the house, okay, and they didn't have glass windows, okay, in the, in the, and stuff. So if you're able to yell into a house and the person's yelling back out to you, everybody's asleep and I can't, you think everybody's kind of awake by now, you know? So everybody's already disturbed, but he's like, I can't do that. Everybody's asleep. We're not, I'm not going to do it. And uh, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, and this is the way it literally reads in Greek, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and it will be open to you. For everyone, did you get that word? Everyone, okay? Who keeps, who keeps asking receives, and the one who keeps seeking finds, and to the one who keeps knocking, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? 
Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In another place, he says, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you good things? If we as broken, messed up parents desire to bless and care for our children, how much more the most perfect father there is. And he wasn't stuck with us. Okay? It's like he chose us. He adopted us. He sent his son Jesus to purchase us by his own blood. He wanted us. Wow. And he wants to take care of us. Keep asking. We forget, and over in uh, uh, chapter 18, verse 1, there's the parable that Jesus gives of the persistent widow, and he says that this parable was so that they would keep praying and not lose heart. And you know the, the, the parable, the judge was he didn't care about God, he didn't care about men, he just did what he did, but the widow would not give up. And finally, the judge says, you know what, this gal is just wearing me out. Wearing me out. So I'm going to do for her what she asks. And Jesus says, you know, if he's willing to do that because of her just pushing it, how much more is your father willing to be there for you? But we forget that prayer is also work. In the book of Acts and Ephesians and the other epistles, we see where Paul and Peter and others are talking about those who labored in prayer. It's actually work. When we get down on our knees, we are laboring in the spiritual realm for the things of God and for people. When we pray for our children and our spouses and our pastors, and our, our churches, we are working in the spiritual realm in prayer. I don't get it, but God includes us in his work. And sometimes it's a battle. You remember Daniel, when he was reading the book of Jeremiah, and he was like, wait a minute, the 70 years is almost done. What's going on, Lord? And so he set his heart to pray and seek the Lord, and he's fasting. And then after three weeks, 21 days, Gabriel shows up, and he tells Daniel, Daniel, from the very moment you set your heart to understand what God was saying, I was sent. But the prince of Persia, the demonic entity that was over the realm of Persia, was fighting Gabriel. And he says, but then Micah, I mean Micah, um, Michael, the prince of Israel, the angel, the archangel over Israel, came and helped me. So here's God moving. Daniel sees what the word of God says. He's seeking the Lord for answers and direction. God sends the answer through Gabriel, but Gabriel's in a battle against the demonic host of Persia. The Archangel Michael comes into the fray. They 
you know, and taps out with Gabriel, picks up the fight. Gabriel's able to get to Daniel while Daniel's fighting on his knees. This is some serious work. It's a battle. And I think, I know, I know that the enemy tries to keep us from praying because the enemy knows the power of being connected to the Lord in prayer. He knows it. And he will do everything he can. Where did the satraps attack to try to shut down Daniel? Was it in his sin? No, he didn't have any sin. Was it in his position? No. They hit him in his prayer life. They waited and then they held that against him to try to shut it down. They knew and the enemy knows. So this is how we engage that connection with the Lord. We spend time with him. We listen to him. We talk to him. It's basically hanging out with the Lord. It's beautiful. It's incredible. All right. Chapter 12, verse 22. Now think of Mary and Martha as we look at this passage. Prayer. Spending time with the Lord. That's how we're able to do what we see here. Chapter 12, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. I think of Martha. What you're going to eat, nor about your body, what you're going to put on. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. Interesting that he says ravens. Ravens are unclean birds, okay? They're like, eh, the ravens, you know? Unclean. Consider the ravens, the unclean birds. They don't sow or reap. They neither have storehouses or barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? The birds aren't bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You are. They're not his children. You are. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? You look out at the fields of wildflowers and stuff, and you go, oh, that is so gorgeous. But they just die and wilt and dry out, and that's it. If God creates a masterpiece like that and cares about that, how much more valuable are you? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. This hits me between the eyes, okay? And I just want to let you know that. I'm not reading this going, hey, don't worry, folks. 
This is a battleground for me, being anxious and worrying. This week, the Lord's really been dealing with me on it. Don't worry, man. I got you. You're my kid. But see, I'm like Martha. I want to be in control. I want to do. No, just let me do. You, you connect with me. I'll take care of everything else. And that's what he's going to say here. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father, daddy, knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. You pursue him. You connect with him. Everything else will fall into place. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't worry. Now go over to John chapter 11. And we pick up with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus again. Just because we have a relationship that is engaging and tight and wonderful with our Lord doesn't mean things are always going to go the way that we expect, plan, or even understand. All right? So we know what's going on here. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, and listen to what the words are here. He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he jumped up and ran like wildfire to Bethany to fix the problem. No. No. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. After this, he said, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're going there again? <coughs> Pardon me. He answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Verse 10, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's falling asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Okay. And for your sake, I am glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas gets a bad rap of doubting. They all doubted. But here Thomas is like, well, you know what? If our master is going to his death, we're going to. There's faith there. They didn't understand what was going on. 
But it says that Jesus loved Martha, loved Mary, loved Lazarus, so he stayed another two days. So he let Lazarus die. So he let Lazarus go into that tomb. So he let Lazarus begin to rot. So he let Mary and Martha weep and cry and question. Well, that's not very loving. As far as we understand it, maybe not. But see, the Lord had greater things for them. They knew him, but now they're going to know him. They're going to notch everything up more in their understanding of who Jesus is and the power and the glory and the wonderfulness of this relationship with this king. Everything was going to change. The Lord will do things in our life that we don't understand because he loves us. Parents are always doing things in their kids' lives that the kids don't understand, but it's because their parents love them that they're doing these things. Later on, our children go, okay, I I understand now. They would understand later. So Jesus comes. Martha hears about it, and she sets out. And she goes right up to him. If you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. That's presumptuous. Because Jesus was going to do what he was going to do. Can you imagine if Jesus did go when they called and he was still going to let Lazarus die? If Jesus showed up there and Mary and Martha going, okay, do your thing, heal him. No. What? He's dying. Uh huh. Heal him. Don't you love us? Oh, yeah, I do so much. So much. Well, heal him. No. I'm going to let him die. You're what? Yeah. Can you imagine what that dynamic would be like? Oh, you're going to raise him from the dead, though, right? Yeah. But not for four days. He's going to be rotting. Martha says he stinks by now when he says, roll the stone away. Jesus stayed away. And that was hard enough. And they were confused, I guarantee you, wondering why he didn't come. But it would have been really weird, I think, if he had showed up and just didn't do anything. And then raised him from the dead four days later. So, when this was all said and done, Jesus did more than they would have ever anticipated. But sometimes the Lord has to bring us through things, even the shadow of the valley of death, to help us grow in our relationship with him to deal with some things in us. That's where, that's where I grow. I don't grow on the mountaintops. I grow in the crucible. I grow when the hammer and the anvil are being used on my life. 
and the sparks are flying and the heat is there and it hurts. That's where I grow. Because the Lord's bringing things out and working things out of my life. And my relationship with him gets better. That's the most important thing. Is our relationship and is going to last for eternity. Jesus said in John chapter, I believe it's 17. This is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's all about the relationship. It's not going to heaven. That's a part of it. But that's just a greater, intimate, wonderful relationship. The relationship is here and now. And it grows sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Until we go home. And we go, oh, Dad, it's good to be home. It's good to see you face to face. But the relationship is here. So remember, Jesus is our source for everything. But we have to be actively connected to him by spending time with him. And communication, two-way, with him that that relationship may grow into something beautiful because he loves you. He loves you. Wow, he loves me. And to go before him with that knowledge. Oh, man. 